Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Amy Marks, Corbs, and Chris Ranji on KMOX, the Chris and Amy show. Uh, Real quick, this song. um, We used to play this game at at my old station. Uh, We had this kid that worked for us. He was in his early 20s, and he didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about pop culture. He he only knew about Will Ferrell. Name was Scott. And we did a segment called Scotty Doesn't Know, and we we would ask him questions and see if he knew the answer. And he didn't know anything, but he heard that song, and he got really excited. He's like, I know what this is. Superman. <laughs> it's not. It is not. Okay. One time I was, I don't know, I forgot what the game was called. Oh my gosh. It was, it was some game. I was in my twenties. I was old enough to know. And I, and it was, you had to hum, hum a song and then your teammate had to guess it. And I went, hmm, 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 hmm. Yeah. Mission impossible. Well, and she goes, James Bond. And I'm like, yes. Close enough. And I said, yes. And it was, I read James Bond. Yeah. We were both wrong. All right, well, let's stop wasting this man's time. Um, Joining us now on the Quiver River Electric guest line is archaeologist Dr. Douglas Boyne. He is a professor of history at St. Louis University and made a monumental discovery last month. And we uh, visit with Dr. Boyne now on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Dr. Boyne, good to have you. How are you? Good morning to the two of you. How are you? We are doing okay. Obviously, you can tell there's no oxygen in the room. So we're... (laughs) We're perfectly fine. So um, tell us about what you found and what you think it means. I mean, I have to say just the the lead in with the music was fantastic because who doesn't get excited listening to Indiana Jones? Uh, It was really, really inspiring. Um, But I have to say, you know, our work was really kind of by the books. We did gold standard. um, You know, we weren't out there trying to treasure hunt. And we just used the magnetometry and some ground penetrating radar, all the kind of technical peer into the ground type stuff. And uh, over in Italy, in the region of Umbria, we had an inkling that there was a building that um, the Emperor, Roman Emperor Constantine dedicated to his family. And our geophysics and our archaeology confirmed uh, that we were probably in the right place. So we found a monumental building from the fourth century Roman Empire. Wow. Um, it's amazing. So can you break down a little bit uh, the phrase, we found the building? Because obviously it's not just standing there. You're doing a little digging. What, <laughs> how exactly did you find the building? This is an excellent question. It's an excellent question because it evokes, you know, it, it evokes people just kind of wandering down the street and bumping into a building. And that is totally not what happened. Uh, so we were about, it took about, give you, you and listeners some perspective here. This was about five years in the making. So it took a good five years of drawing up the plans, which meant going to the archives and seeing where people had excavated before, where there might have been, you know, just errant construction that could have revered something from the ground. Um, we did all of that kind of fact checking and legwork. And then the nitty gritty part was getting the collaboration from our colleagues overseas in Italy and with 
British Academy in, in Italy to do, like I said, the x-ray of the ground, which is really important because you know, if anyone's going to fund a project like this, unlike with Indiana Jones's, I don't know where he gets his money, but you know, we have people we're responsible for. And when we break ground, we need to be really, really, really sure that we are digging in the right place. So we did some geophysics to make sure that the structures that we thought were going to be in the area were in the area. And at that point, you know, we're in year three, year four. The next step, the next logical step is, can we break ground just to confirm that the data is not lying to us, that the data isn't um, mistaken for any reason? And that's what happened this past season. So that's when we, quote, found, unquote, the temple. A SLU professor, Dr. Boyne, is with us right now, Douglas Boyne. And this, what started this was a letter that was discovered uh, from Constantine. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really remarkable to think that we have a letter from 1,600 years ago. But the people of, of Spello, which is the, the town where we were digging in, in Umbria, Italy, the people of Spello at the time wrote a letter to Emperor Constantine. And when he wrote back, it was such a big deal for them to receive a reply from the emperor. They inscribed his letter on stone. And that stone letter, that stone tablet, I mean, it really does kind of sound like something out of Hollywood, but that stone tablet was found in the 1700s. And ever since it was found, it's written in Latin. Uh, it was put in the, the mayor's office of, of the city because it's a very kind of prideful discovery for them to have. But the, the letter, as it's written on the stone, refers to an ancient temple, and that temple had never been discovered. And so that letter really prompted our team to organize an entire research campaign to think about, well, you know, in the best case scenario, what if we find it? And in a broader case scenario, what can we learn about the town if we go looking in places that people hadn't looked before? And that's what we did. It's really extraordinary. And I first read this story in CBS News and I read your name and then it said St. Louis University. I thought, oh, my gosh, this <laughs> yeah. guy this is a local and professor. It's, it's CBS News, Miami Herald, all, all these yes. yeah, these places all covered it. Um, and so can you said that and correct me if I'm wrong here, that this temple would be one of the largest um, pieces of evidence for the imperial cult of the late Roman Empire. Um, is, that, is that is that true? And then also maybe explain what the imperial cult is. Sure. I mean, you have to credit to you. You said all of that absolutely correctly. Um, that, that's spot on. The, the remarkable detail that we're dealing with, and I think the reason why you and me alike were surprised by the media coverage and the breadth of the media coverage what we're what we're dealing with is we have a temple or we have evidence from fourth century pagan Rome. And this is a period in history which you just go back to the history books or you go back to the encyclopedias, we're we're kind of supposed to be thinking about there being a Christian empire or that this is the beginning of the Christian world. So for there to be a pagan temple from this time period as as big and as monumental as as we believe that it is, that is truly extraordinary because it shows us, I think, what we kind of forget as a maybe lost evolutionary branch of you know the religion family tree, the the path between paganism and Christianity just zigzagged a lot more. It took a lot weirder 
directions than we often think it wasn't a straight line. So the idea that the people of the Roman Empire were worshipping their rulers and were continuing to do so as the rulers became more Christian is just so fascinating. It's just such such a fascinating piece of evidence, and that's, I think, what we're looking at, what our team is looking at. What is the um, what happens after you find a a structure like this? And you know, you had a pretty good idea where it was and what it was. You locate it. What happens from that point moving forward? And then then how long? Whatever the process is, how long does that take? So right now, everything. I think it's fair to say, and it's it's um, proper to say to tell to tell everyone everything is underground, um, meaning we covered up everything that we found. So the the responsible approach in the field is to make sure that no one can get at it and that it's covered with a type of material so that people know in the future that that researchers have already been there. Moving forward, looking ahead, let's say at 2024, what my team is very excited about is returning to that field. And um, right now we're in the middle of continuing to raise some grant money to make sure that we can go back and just collect a little bit more data from the site before we pull all the evidence that we have together in order to do the official scientific publication. So there's a lot more paperwork that I think gets left out of the Indiana Jones type um, imagination of archaeology, and we're just in in the middle of doing that right now. Hey, paperwork. People love paperwork. I think it is. Historically. (laughs) Yeah, the clerical. It's the clerical details that are the best part. (laughs) Uh, It is so interesting, though, because I think as we look at history and different societies and cultures, we realize not how different we are as humans, but how similar we are. And people Mm -hmm. just don't like to change their habits. And so when you do see uh, massive empires overtaking or conquering peoples, you can't just change their habits overnight. So things get mixed in and societal norms and mores change. And I think it also highlights too, like if you know, if you study uh, people study ancient history, like the the Bible, how um, even with with the Israelites, there was so much of like don't don't mix in with these different cultures or pagan cultures because that was that's just a natural thing for humans to do is you start to adopt the practices of the people around you and blend them in with your own. I you said it absolutely right. the The texts will always tell us you know what people were told not to do. And the archaeology usually usually tells us exactly what that they were doing the opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, just, like I think of the Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston, right? right? Moses, he goes up on the mountain and he comes back down, and the Israelites have made the golden calf, and it's like, well, you got that from the Egyptians. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's really interesting. It's just people are people, even going back so many ages. Do you? Uh, we're visiting with Dr. Douglas Boyne, professor of history at St. Louis University um, here in the city, obviously. And we are, I, I mean, this is all extremely fascinating and interesting to me. I don't know if it if it is to, to everybody, but I love to see how people lived thousands of years ago. And like Amy's talking, that in some respects, we're not quite as different. You know, maybe we... We make some changes as people as as the years go on, but we're all kind of fundamentally human, right? We're all about the same. When you see um, structures like this one or anything else that you have studied or discovered over the years, do you do you see that? Do you see evidence of that? That hey, these people, 
you know, while they, while they existed thousands of years ago, a lot of similarities to the way we operate. I really do. I mean, it's, it's the, the constant um, tightrope that you walk when you, when you work in ancient history is it, it can be so far away and so remote and removed. That's the reason why I got into it, quite, quite frankly. I, I grew up in Chicago and you know, had an experience to, to go to the Mediterranean when I, was, when I was young, and I kind of fell in love with it. I knew I needed to, to constantly go back, so I, I built a career out of going back to the Mediterranean. But there's another part that comes out where you, you, you stare face-to-face with people's behavior and people's ideas and their beliefs, and you say, oh, my gosh, they're, they're acting and they're behaving very similar, eerily similar to the way that we do today. And I think when studying, you know, their religion, for example, with, with, around a building like this, these buildings were used for major civic festivals. And they were used on days when people went to the amphitheater, which was right down the street, or they went to the theater, which was right around the corner. And they had parties and festivities that were intertwined with the kind of civic idea of what it meant to be a Roman citizen. And so when you look back at that, you say to yourself, well, there, there are moments like that, that we still do today. You know, the Super Bowl is a kind of moment in which life stops in America and and it has this kind of quasi religious kind of feel to it. And the way that the Romans treated their emperors was, was very eerily similar. And with all of your discoveries, whether it's this most recent ones, others in your studies, when you have physical evidence like this of of ancient peoples and past times, have you come across any anything that could be taken as a warning for us today? Wow, that's that's a that's a profound a profound question. Um, Is so much of what I study about the past is um, it's from the perspective of not wanting to repeat it. I, I do have to kind of be honest about that. I'm, I'm someone that, you know, if I'm going to talk about the fall of Rome, I'm going to do it from the outsider's perspective. I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of the, the Gothic immigrant, for example, who might, whose story might be overlooked or who, whose story might have been forgotten. So I think there are so many ways that the past maps on to today, but my position as a scholar is simply to try to find the new angles that allow us to think about it in a fresh, original way, because that's, you know, we we have to learn from the past in all of its chapters. And for me, there are just so many, like you said, there are so many warnings about um, what the Romans got wrong. And uh, I think the way that they, um, yeah, I think that's right. Dr. Boyne, it was uh, terrific to talk to you, and this was really fascinating stuff. And it, what, the next big discovery, or when you go back and you find something else, would you uh, call us and let us know? Of course, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Uh, you call us first. Don't call, like, CBS <laughs> News or Yahoo or any of those people. You can call us. That sounds good. Awesome. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Dr. Douglas Boyne, professor of history at SLU. That is awesome stuff, man. Uh, I love it. So do you know what? I, I just bought this book two days ago, so I uh, think I'll get it today. Um, A World Lit Only by Fire uh, by William Manchester, uh, one of is it about my favorite historians. It, it, that's 
dark. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's dark. Uh, but just like the mid the medieval times, the Middle Ages, just so and it is just like this. It I, I guess overall it's superficial because it's one book overview of that time. But man, I love history and just this from the Roman Empire, that discovery of the late Roman Empire, uh, all the way back to ancient peoples to the Middle Ages. It's fascinating to me. It it really is. Um, I love this stuff. I love history because uh, I, I don't know. I just like to put myself in the place of how people lived and where they lived and what things looked like. Mm-hmm. Even if it's more recent history like early 1900s, mm-hmm. early 1800s, that sort of stuff is really, really fascinating to me. Yeah. By the way, did you see the, the story about the woman from uh, Pompeii who had taken a, um, a pumice stone? And she didn't know that it was an artifact. And she says that it cursed her, that she got divorced and she developed cancer. And so she brought the stone back uh, to where Pompeii is. Huh? I did uh, not see that. Yeah, it's a Don't take stuff from other countries. Yeah, don't take ancient things that don't belong to you, you dummy. Or bad things will happen. You'll get divorced. I mean, or other bad things, not so specific. D- divorce might be a, a blessing for some people. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you. Go to commercial. Chris and Amy on KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Text message is 314-436-7900. And uh, a texter, when we were discussing the uh, ATM, the, the the juvenile who was taping fish to um, ATMs. Yep. And he got arrested and sent to juvenile court. Yeah. A text message from a 636 says he was probably taping those fish just for the halibut. I listen. love it. Listen, listen. This is not what we're asking for here. If you're going to start texting us, yeah. If you're going to contribute to this show, and it's a jo- it's a game to, I want you? you to. Yeah, it's not funny. This is a crime. I want you to think about what you're doing first. We're talking about malevolent activities of the youths of America. You're making a pun. It's not. Come on. Get you out of here. Who do you think we are? Who do you think we are here? <sighs> You know what? Sometimes it's disappointing. Yeah. I don't know, something fishy about that text, though. Well, they, hey, at least they caught him. Here's They did catch him. They reeled him in. <laughs> and this one, we, we, talked about, we talked about the wig party. Listen to this one. Okay. So if the wig party came back, would Glover be a member? <laughs> or did they miss their chance for him 30 years ago? Come on, Come man. Come on. Don't what be cruel. You're doing all that. What kind of listeners do we have listening? Apparently just awful, awful people listen to this show. Wow. Thank you for listening, though. Mike Claiborne is next. Poof. Damn. You know, I, I suspect, or I suppose I am a little surprised that there's still so many players available. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, why is that? Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, I can say this. It's like a lot of these guys I'm not necessarily chasing, so I don't really know you know, what's holding it up, but, 
you know, there are some still things that we're thinking about doing. So we are paying attention uh, to some degree to the to the free agent market. But I think where where headspace is for a lot of players and agents right now is they're willing to be patient. Yeah, as of, and that was the voice of President of Baseball Operations for the Cardinals, John Mosellock, um, talking with Matt Pauley here on KMOX. And last year at this time, there were three of the top 50 free agents available. So there were only three of them left. And we are, you know, less than a month away from uh, spring training. Pitchers and catchers will start reporting pretty soon in the middle of February. So there, at, at on this date last year of the top 50 free agents, three guys were available. Now it is more than 15. Hmm. More than that. So we're talking a lot of players are still out there and unsigned. It's the Chris and Amy show. We go to the Quiver River Electric guest line, and we bring in part, part of the uh, broadcast team. Uh, you'll be hearing from John Rooney and Mike Claiborne and Ricky Horton coming up this season on KMOX, and Claibs is with us now. How's it going, Claibs? I'm doing well. Amy, welcome back from uh, what I think last time I talked to you was right after Thanksgiving. No. Yeah, something like that. Unbelievable. He, he'd been gone for a while, so hopefully uh, you had a good you time. No with idea. Your, your time off. We had a good time. I was skiing in Keystone, Colorado. Since November. Since November. Since November. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. It was my well, gift to Ranji to stay away. Yeah. Well, and you just don't know how much he appreciated it. I did. Thank you so much for the break. You're welcome. <laughs> Klaibs, what do you think's going on here? Why are so many players still available and unsigned? It's a great question, and it's ironic that we're having this conversation. I reached out to a few free agents yesterday and a couple of agents. They're not even getting a, hearing a peep out of anybody. I mean, there are some good players that are out there like J.D. Martinez, who hit 33 home runs last year, Jock Peterson, and a few pitchers. Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery still out there? They're not hearing from teams at all. And that's it's a little glaring because the other sports, when you think about the NBA, the NHL, and and the NFL, when free agency starts, I mean, it's a free-for-all. I mean, you, you see a lot of players signed up in the first week of the, the, the time for free agency. Uh, baseball does it a little differently, maybe because of the fact you, you, you don't have a salary cap, but you know teams have budgets in place on what, how much money they want to spend. But it is glaring, as one person told me yesterday, that's with the Players Association, it is glaring in, in what's going on. But we've seen this before. This happened a couple of years ago before the, uh, the, the lockout took place that uh, owners sat back and, and waited and waited and waited, and, and the players had no choice but to take short-term deals. Uh, and it looks like some of them are going to have to do that again this season. This is – I mean, it's really fascinating. I, I I wonder, and I know that there are a lot of um, conspiracy-minded people out there who think that owners have been colluding uh, for years and still do maybe on the down low. Do you think there's anything to that? Oh, I don't know. I think it's always been – in the air, but no one's been able to prove it. Or it, well, they proved it once, and uh, it, it it was proven. But you know, overall, I just think you know owners can say this is just good business. Uh, it's hard to to prove prove collusion. It, it really is. And you know, to accuse owners of that, you know, they say bring it on. If you really think we've done it, show us. So is it is it going on? Probably in a situation where on the surface it appears to be, but if you peel off the first layer, you say, well, this, this is kind of how business works. 
And you heard Mosellock in that cut say that they're really not, um, you know, pursuing any of these guys. So he doesn't he doesn't know if they're still out there, if somebody like Snell is still available or Jordan Montgomery is out there. And I know the Cardinals have already acquired a bunch of pitching during the offseason. Do you think they would consider the possibility of look, when players get desperate as it gets closer to spring training and there's no long term offer? Some of these guys might be willing to take a one-year deal for a lot of money. Would 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 that be a possibility for the Cardinals? I think when you think about pitching, you're looking to shore up your bullpen now, and uh, and obviously there's some relievers out there that certainly could help the Cardinals. Josh Hader's out there. Yeah, he's out there, and you have Naris, and you have a few other players. Maton is another guy that can shore up your bullpen. I'm of the mood of thinking you need another closer as well. I, I think the game is going to a direction. Because of the use of the bullpen, you know, you use it every night. You need at least four guys, and sometimes your closer, your normal closer won't be available. You better have somebody else who has closing experience. And with Ryan Helsley and the injuries he's had the last couple of years, you know, can you rely on him for the whole season compared to the fact that you'd be more, more comfortable if you had someone who's done this before and has had success with it? So. In answer to your question, Hader would be attractive. He wants a long-term deal. I don't know if you give closers long-term deals or not. Uh, so that may, you know, muddy the water a little bit with regard to him. But there's still some other capable pitchers out there that could help the Cardinals. But I think the Cardinals probably look at it along this line. We have some players we need to take a look at internally before we can move forward. And let's face it, if you get into a pinch where you don't have what you're looking for, or you don't have in your organization what you were hoping for, you can always go out and make a deal and get somebody. Every, you know, there are going to be players available to the trade. There's some teams that know, hey, listen, we're going to play the season, but we're not going to be a postseason. So let's get a player or two, sign him, knowing that we're going to trade him at the deadline, if not sooner, and get some more prospects. Buffalo Justin, who's one of our listeners, has been asking if uh, we can trust Ryan Helsley. How do you feel about that? Well, it's a good question because of the injuries and his not being available as much as you would like for him to be. And the fact that pitching back to back is something he hasn't done a great deal of with success. It is a concern. I mean, last year we had Jordan Hicks who went, he took the ball three days in a row and had three consecutive saves. We didn't have anybody else that did that all season. And granted, it was not the ideal season, but when it's all said and done, you have to have somebody you can count on on a regular basis. Um, and, whether it's Ryan Helsley or someone else. But, yeah, I think if someone is concerned about that, they, they have a reason to be considering the track history. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I never know about bullpens because a we lot never of guys – Yeah, a lot of guys fluctuate. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have good years and they don't, and, and a lot of it has to do with the sample size each year that while a guy can have a great year, he's really not pitching all that much. So, I mean, if you think about it, if you break it down – so I think there's a but, lot. But I think the, the difference, though, Chris, is yeah. the, the, it, they don't may not, may not pitch a lot with regard to starts. But, you know, you, when you're pitching maybe three to four days a week compared to a starter sure. who goes once a week, I think that's the issue. How quickly can they recover and be effective? Now, you can have a guy go back to back, but if he doesn't have enough, enough stuff on his, on his fastball or he doesn't have movement on one of his breaking balls the next day, then guess what? He's going to get hit. He's going to get hit hard. Yeah. And now he's down the following day. Then you say to yourself, does he need one day or two days off? And it really can muddy up a bullpen. And that's something that you have to really take into account, the management of a bullpen. 
And that's a, a lot of transparency has to take place between pitcher and manager. Hey, Skip, I can go today. Hey, Skip, I may have one out in one batter in me. I can get out or whatever. You have to make sure that everybody's on the same page. There was a time when guys would say, I'm ready to go. Now you have a line and some teams have a line outside the manager's office telling the manager he can't go. So it's one of those situations now the game has changed. Relievers are a little bit more conscious of how useful and how much use they can give you compared to the old days and say, just give me the ball and I'll take my chances. Well, that era of guys find themselves, especially in the bullpen, having shorter careers because they threw too much, threw too often trying to help the team. Players now look at it, hey, look, I got to take care of myself and hopefully I can help the team along the way. Hey, Klaibs, shifting to the world of journalism, Sports Illustrated just laid off most of its staff and will possibly lay off all remaining writers and editors. They all received uh, layoff notices today. So I, this is something I'm sure that you've had experience with uh Sports Illustrated writers, uh, the work that they've done, the players they've profiled. How does that hit you? And by the way, this is coming after the L.A. Times mm-hmm. this week announced they're going to lay off a mm-hmm. ton of people. It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate time in the print business. I know uh, uh, the sporting news laid off some people this week as well. And, and these are icons. These are gold standards as far as sports fans were concerned. But, you know, the, 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 the landscape has changed with regard to how we get our information and what's important. Uh, we like it quick. We like it fast. We like it right now. And, you know, when you write once a week, you know, people don't have that time or they found something else to do. And, you know, I, I think the print industry, you know, really didn't know how to handle the Internet when, it, you know, when it first came on board. And not to say they got caught looking the other way, but they never really recovered about how impactful the internet has become with regard to people getting information on a quicker basis. Yeah. And, and private equity firms coming in and just decimating these places. That's, that's maybe the biggest problem. Yeah. I agree with you, Ryan. I mean, uh, Chris, it's one of those things where they just come in and all they want are numbers. Yep. They don't care about the tradition. They don't care about the image. They don't care about the, the people who have been there if you don't have numbers, we're going to dump it or we're going to lay people off and just and gut it. And that's what we're seeing, not just in, in the print industry, but, you know, we're seeing it in some other areas in regards to sports. When you listen to some of these minor league teams and their owners and these private equity firms come in and buy them and they say, hey, look, we want we want a significant increase in revenue and they, they just can't do it. I mean, you can't get blood out of a turnip on that level. And it's really something that's unfortunate and it's nothing more you can really do about it. And things are going to change again. I I can guarantee you. And you have to wonder what what format is next. And I kind of feel like it might be radio. I think, you know, private equity will get involved in radio, scale some of these larger corporations down and then just look for the bottom line dollar. And all of a sudden we'll have a lot of other good, talented people looking for other careers. Oh, it's nice knowing you. (laughs) I'm happy. I'm not for you. You're Chris, I, Chris, I didn't, Chris, I didn't see a list with your name on it. You're going to be well, fine. Wait a minute. I didn't well, we'll, see a list. Yeah. Uh, well, wait a minute. Was your name on Yeah, Amy and, Amy and I will be okay. on the street. We'll yeah. be out in that 17 degrees. I'm uh, I'm about 100 years behind because I, I feel sad that we'll never have the Grantland Rice Four Horsemen of Notre Dame anymore. I don't think yeah. people have an appetite for that. And I think the other thing that's tragic about this, Amy and Chris, you might agree, if the Sports Illustrated goes away, then what happens to the swimsuit edition? May uh, it rest in peace. Well, yeah. Well, there's the internet, so. 
Am I? Well, I'm leave here. it to you. You guys, yeah. I'm here still. Oh, oh yeah. Forgot about Amy. Yeah, I do. You guys already want to have Clabes. <laughs> well, no. I mean, let's face it. The Sports Illustrated really made its name on good writing in one annual edition. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And whether you're a male or female, we all like looking at beautiful people. And that's what they provided us. They did for a very long time. Then the inter- internet came. And it's just wrecking everything. And, and you, you're going to the dark side of the internet. That's I, can I don't, tell hey, I don't, I don't, mean, I don't okay. mean it like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Clabes. too late now. Your Clabes. cat's out the bag, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you, wait, real quick. We're going to go. Are you in Florida yet? I am in Florida. Oh, uh, considering that the governor is not here, he's running for president. So yep. I thought I'd come in and check on the, check on the joint for All right. a few months. Well, <laughs> hold it down for a while. and uh, I'm going to do my best. Clabes, well, I'd vote for you. I'd vote for you immediately. Well, I'm glad I have two votes because I'm not sure if I'd vote for myself. Well, <laughs> well, 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 well it depends on what I'm running for. It depends on what I run. You want me to run for president? Yeah, yes. I'll, I'll campaign. Yes. All right. Ah, it take, you know, I wouldn't have as much time to talk to you all. <laughs> Fine. It's fine. Just, no, just run like the country. This guy needs run the a country, social man. life. This guy needs to, Klaibs yeah. needs to be a man and, about And town. we need to let Klaibs go because we got yeah, Jay Gow coming I, up. Yeah, I don't want to kill Scott's time. Yeah, he's outside the door. He's trying to get in. All right. Let him in. Claves will talk I'm to out. you next Friday. Can't. Well, I'm on a cruise next oh, Friday, so we'll talk, we'll talk to you later. in two weeks. Bye. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Bye. Mike Claiborne on the Cardinals broadcast. Cardinals games you can listen to right here on KMOX and the Odyssey app for free uh, the upcoming season. Scott Jagow is next. Hey, before we get to Scott Jagow, there is breaking Cardinals news, and it is official. Okay. The Cardinals have signed, <gasps> and this happened just As now. we went to break, yeah. um, the Cardinals have signed Matt Carpenter. Yes, Whoa. that Ma- Matt Carpenter haven't to a this... one-year contract. It's over. The World Series, here we come. I have Cardinals not been are... this excited since no. we signed Lance Lynn. This is, is it, well, <laughs> all right. Uh, now the band's Let's back. not be too, you know, this Amy, is just a, a utility infielder signing. It's a, it, What's the big deal? Yeah. I'm sure the contract isn't going to swallow up the uh, budget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't, hey, I don't and everybody Matt likes Matt Carpenter. Like he likes Matt Carpenter. He's care. a good cardinal. Sign so, him for a hundred yeah. million. I don't care. Just keep signing players. You know, well, doesn't Scott, matter to me how much they make. So yeah, Matt this, Carpenter is yeah. back with the Cardinals. We can't wait. We need to talk to Matt. Soon. Yeah. Anyway, Scott. Yes. All the bills decked out. Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, it's a big game. Obviously, it's in our stadium this time. I know there are a lot of Chiefs fans out there. I think it's our time. I'm hoping. I'm crossing my fingers. I agree with you. You know. By the way, the, the game will be here on KMOX. We this, are the home of the Chiefs. The pit of my stuff. It's going to drop out. I mean, by the time we get to the kickoff, I'm How not going to right be able to make it. Do you? Think I'm trying. I'm trying to be zen. I really yeah. am, but it's hard. You're kind of like you look nervous. Are you? Would if you were in <laughs> Buffalo right now, would you be shoveling the stadium for twenty dollars an hour? Uh. Mm. Just yeah, maybe. Yeah, though? hell yeah, I do it. <laughs> Just for the halibut. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I I wanted to talk about a little bit about lake effect snow because last week when they postponed the Steelers Bills mm-hmm. game, there were people online saying, "Oh, well, you're so soft, you can't handle a little bit of snow." Because yes. they were looking at cameras from stool guy. Yeah, they were looking at cameras from downtown Buffalo. Anyone right. who knows anything about lake effect snow yeah. knows that it's very concentrated. The whole thing is cold air comes across the warm 
relatively warm waters of the lake, and then it just sits. It and literally dumps looks like a wall. Snow. It's like a wall it, of snow yes. where you can walk to the other side of it, and there's no snow. And it'll yeah. dump. Yes, it'll dump snow for hours, up to seven feet in one spot, and then wow. a couple miles away, nothing. No snow at yep. all. And yep. isn't it true, like in Buffalo, you have to shovel your roof or your house will cave in? Is well, you have Just to. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard that, that you have to shovel the roof. You do. Yeah, that well, is depends. a thing. It depends. Yeah, yeah it, it depends. depends. Okay, well. But uh, the other thing is getting out of the house through the front door. Yeah. A lot of times you can't do that if, you know, the snow dumps so quickly that you can't get out. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But uh, it looks like the forecast is pretty good for this weekend. This, you know, there, there's snow this week, but I think it'll be gone and shoveled by Sunday night. We talked yesterday to the National Transportation Museum uh, uh, chairman, the, mm-hmm. the head of the place, and you went to the Moto Museum for Roaming oh, St. Yeah. Louis? So, yeah, this week uh, it's a motorcycle museum in Midtown. It's Oh, man, it's so cool. These bikes are awesome. This guy... This guy, he's the guy who owns this building, Steve Smith. Oh, yeah. Steve Smith. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's been collecting bikes for years, and he has stuff from like 1912, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. And they're having in February a big event, which is the uh, cycle showcase of custom-made bikes. So uh, roaming St. Louis and yeah. three good things this weekend yeah. on Sunday. Eight and nine o'clock hour on Sunday morning. Could you tell Steve Smith to make the office warmer? It's cold in our office. <laughs> Thank you. Scott Jago. <laughs> yeah, I'll do Thanks it. Thanks for coming in. Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 